Welcome to episode number 66 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies, and the techniques you need to build an online business around your research experience, around your expertise, and so that you can make the change that you want to make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about what is cognitive and behavioral therapy for insomnia. To do that, we have on Martin Reed from insomniacoach.com and the Insomnia Coach podcast. Martin, I want to say a big thank you and a big welcome to the Grab Blogger podcast today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. So I'm really excited for this interview, and I'm going to give a bit of a backstory here. As this, the audience will know, is a little bit different than our, our typical episode. If they've been listening for a while, they'll, they'll remember I talked previously about setting and tying goals in your personal life to revenue as part of your business. And this is really then tying what you're doing in your business to specific outcomes in your life. So it's focusing on why you want to do something and then you know what's the easiest way to do it or the best way to do it, and then the how, not focusing on the how first. So I'm going to create a course, I'm going to create a, a product and sell it for a million dollars and blah, blah, blah. But what does this mean in your life? And I also said that early in 2020, the first half of 2020, my revenue goals were really tied to outsourcing parts of my life outside of the business space and even getting some coaching in different parts. And one of these areas I've struggled in is, is actually sleep. So off and on for the last 20 years, I've really, you know, every couple of months have a have a period where I have pretty bad insomnia. May even sleep an average of three or four hours a night. And we'll get into this in this episode a bit, but I'd be going to bed, you know, for eight hours and then nine hours and then 10 hours to try to get more sleep. And it can be quite frustrating. If anyone's gone through this, that's listening to this episode, they will know that frustration. And, and Martin, I know, knows it as well. And I found Martin at insomniacoach.com and really wanted to get into this to improve my own skill set here. So I did the one-on-one coaching program um, with Martin. He also has you know, a host of free resources there, free community forum, self-paced courses, and that sort of stuff. But I want to share in this episode some of the things that, that I found through uh, Martin's process, which is based around this cognitive and behavioral therapy for insomnia. And it's shifted my mindset a bit to changing how I think about sleep to really a set of skills and, you know, cutting through the noise in this topic and then giving me the exercises and the game plan to start making a difference in my sleep. So I'm going to share some of my results at the end over the last, I think, seven or eight weeks. I've been really working with Martin and then even on my own after since then. But in this episode, I really want Martin to walk us through what is this topic? What does CBTI, cognitive and behavioral therapy for insomnia, look like? To share some of his background and what he sees is typical challenges with people that are maybe a hyperactive mind, like uh, academics or researchers or entrepreneurs. So I know it's a little bit of a longer introduction, but Martin, maybe the, the place just to start here is, can you give us a, a definition or, or a description of what is this CBTI, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a big mouthful. Um, basically, um, well, first of all, I think it's important for me to just emphasize that I'm not a therapist, you know, so I don't, in the big air quotes, do cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, but I do educate clients about these techniques because they're grounded in evidence and they're, they're effective because ultimately they address the root cause of pretty much all cases of chronic insomnia. So I'm just going to say CBTI just to kind of keep it a little bit shorter. It's ultimately just a collection of techniques, like you alluded to in the introduction. It's a set of skills that are intended to help address the thoughts and the behaviors that perpetuate insomnia. Because 
ultimately everyone experiences sleep disruption from time to time. It's just a normal part of life. You know, if we have an exam the next day or a job interview or a big deadline coming up, completely normal for us to experience sleep disruption. And there's not really much we can do about this temporary sleep disruption. And our sleep will normally recover all by itself as soon as we've met the deadline or as soon as we've adjusted to whatever change has taken part in our, has happened in our life. But sometimes it doesn't. Um, and this is often down to a change in our thinking about sleep, the way we think about sleep. And often there's a change in our behaviors towards sleep. And these can perpetuate insomnia in three main ways. You know, they can disrupt our sleep drive. We can talk about these things in a little bit more detail, but they disrupt sleep drive. They can disrupt our body clock. And probably the really big one that a lot of people who are struggling with insomnia would identify with is they can increase arousal. So these CBTI techniques help address the sleep drive disruption, the body clock disruption, and that heightened arousal that's generated by the change in our thoughts and behaviors towards sleep when it's being disrupted. Yeah, and I said, as I mentioned in the the introduction, a lot of people will be maybe nodding their head at this stage when they hear things like body clock disruption and, and increased arousal on that. Yeah. How did you get started in this area? Like, why why do you start insomniacoach.com and, and what made you get into it? Um, it was ultimately from personal experience. So I was always this person that slept great, loved sleep. Um, I would probably have listed it as a hobby of mine because I just loved it so much. Never, ever had a problem with it until in 2008 when I emigrated from the UK to move to the US. Big life change. Um, I was also getting married that year as well. Um, and I experienced sleep disruption. Um, so at first, you know, I wasn't too concerned by it, recognized that, well, probably pretty normal. I'm in a new country, big changes going on, but it kind of didn't get back on track all by itself. And then I would start to go to bed earlier, you know, in, in the, in the night to try and get more sleep. I'd stay in bed later in the morning to try and get more sleep. And I gradually found like all my behaviors were influenced by sleep and how it might influence my sleep, how it might affect my sleep. Um, and it was really becoming involved in my decision-making processes. And I would spend time thinking and worrying about sleep and researching sleep, doing all these things, which on reflection now are just like the classic, it fits the model of insomnia perfectly, um, not unusual in any way. But luckily I found out about these cognitive and behavioral techniques that helped me address all these behaviors that I was quite understandably implementing in a bid to get more sleep, but were actually backfiring and proving to be completely counterproductive. So anyway, to cut a long story short, you know, I found that these techniques were working for me and I thought, why don't, why, why, why doesn't everyone know about this? What this information needs to be out there, not like the sleep hygiene stuff, because that's not helpful for people with chronic insomnia, but these evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques need to be out there. Um, so ultimately that got me on the path of trying uh, trying to, you know, build out a forum, build out a community, build out information products, online courses that use these techniques um, to see if they would help others. And they did. Um, and I figured that, okay, if I'm going to really build upon this, I need to 
get more education about this. I need to get more credentialing. And that's what led me down the path of pursuing um, my master's degree um, in health and wellness education um, and credentialing as a health education specialist and then on to becoming um, certified in clinical sleep health and a certified health coach. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that journey. And, and as pretty heavy academic audience here, we know all about credentials. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, the, and the need to, the, the drive, if we want to keep using that word, to, to feel like you need to do that. And it, it is important as a part of learning and a part of competency as well. Absolutely. I want to go in two directions. So I do want to get into the tools and the toolkit for CBTI that tackle these things like sleep drive and body clock and increased arousal because they really helped me um, and they're still helping me today. Uh, but I do want to tackle some of these myths a bit that you see. So what are, you know, let's start with the one you mentioned already. Probably the first thing you're going to see if you type in, I can't sleep <laughs> online, you know, sleep hygiene. W- what is sleep hygiene and maybe why is that not as good for someone who's suffering from insomnia versus maybe a different type of person? Yeah, well, ultimately, I think that sleep hygiene is more to do with prevention. It's kind of like dental hygiene. So, you know, just like we should be brushing our teeth twice a day to prevent cavities, that's great if we don't have any cavities yet. But once you've got a cavity, it doesn't matter how often you brush your teeth that cavity is not going to go away. It needs something else. And sleep hygiene is kind of like that. So if you don't really have a problem with sleep, you just kind of want to, I don't, you know, optimize the environmental conditions for sleep, so to speak, then maybe, you know, it, it might be helpful to make sure that you're giving sleep a good opportunity to occur. But really, if you're at the stage where you've been struggling for you know, months with sleep issues, it's probably a bit too late for sleep hygiene. Um, You know, like covering up your windows with a blackout curtain probably isn't going to transform your sleep. And I tried. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's one of the, and you just made that point. It becomes this new list of sleep efforts that we can then implement. You know, we have this list of sleep hygiene things and we can go down that list. And before we know it, we're doing like 20 different things throughout the day or the early evening in a bid to try and generate sleep or sleepiness. Um, And that in itself is completely counterproductive to sleep. So I'm increasingly coming around to the thought that if someone has chronic insomnia, sleep hygiene is probably going to be more unhelpful than helpful because it can just lead to heightened arousal, more more sleep efforts, more attempts to control sleep. And that's never helpful if your goal is to sleep better. And I'll I'll add to that because I I would add one thing because of placebo, I found that every minute sleep hygiene thing I've applied <laughs> in the last twenty years has worked for some period of time. So the black curtains, the removing the alarm clock, the you know, there's other things I that I still use like earplugs and, and things like that that I've I've kept in my my kind of toolbox, but they all seem to work for a short period of time, which makes it even more difficult i think because then that increases the effort so you feel like you need to do a 20-step routine and stand on your head on one foot <laughs> to, to get a good night's sleep and then when it kind of wears off when that placebo wears off and the joke i've heard is that in in these kind of insomnia sleep studies the, the joke is that they give the control groups you know sleep hygiene tasks is that is that maybe true <laughs> yeah exactly because you know in the academic community um whenever we're doing sleep studies 
academics that research sleep know that sleep hygiene doesn't work for people with chronic insomnia. So if we're doing a, if we're looking for a control group, the best thing we can give them that will have zero influence on sleep is sleep hygiene information. Um, so yeah, you're hundred percent correct there, which is unfortunate because when most people who are struggling within sleep, like you said, go onto Google, that's the first thing they see. And for the vast majority of people too, if they talk to their, their primary care physician, that's often the first thing they'll be told about. And so, you know, it, which is really disappointing because we know it's not helpful, but not only can it increase arousal because of all these additional sleep efforts we're then trying to pursue, but when they don't work, when this, this mythical, magical sleep hygiene, list of sleep hygiene rules doesn't work, we can become really concerned that there's something completely unique with our insomnia, you know, that our insomnia cannot be fixed. If sleep hygiene didn't work and it's always like recommended as the first thing to try, there must be something seriously wrong. But in reality, it's completely normal and to be expected that it didn't work. Yeah, and I, the joke about control groups. This may be the only audience that actually likes that joke, so I definitely <laughs> want to make sure we got in there because we have a lot of uh, a lot of researchers that are yeah. that understand what what, what that means. Um, and and I do want to be clear that we're not saying that sleep hygiene isn't an effective thing for some people, uh, or at least uh, to be honest, my background is is not such that I can make a statement either way. But you know, if you're sleeping well, then maybe doing black curtains and and some things may actually help you sleep a little bit better. Maybe you're not being interrupted in certain ways. I think what what you're saying, Martin, is that if you're suffering from middle to long term, you know, insomnia and chronic insomnia, then it's it's probably not the right tool for you to make a meaningful impact. Does that sound like a good summary? Yeah, I would say so. You know, sleep hygiene is really more to do with kind of environmental things that might disturb sleep, you know, like the light coming through the window or environmental noise and things like that. So yeah, you know, if there's a jackhammer going off outside your window at six in the morning, then earplugs or a white noise machine might help then. But if you can recognize that you're thinking a lot about sleep, you're worrying a lot about sleep, you're implementing behaviors solely with the goal of improving sleep or trying to get more sleep, then you can kind of recognize that this has now become an issue with the way you're thinking about sleep and your behavior and the behavioral side. So then you can recognize that moving beyond sleep hygiene will probably be more helpful. Okay. I think that's that's a good coverage of some of the myths that people are going to find when they start to look online for this stuff. Certainly I found it and I've tried probably all of them. <laughs> and I mean, there is probably a whole other camp that, that I haven't tried, which is sort of the sleep aids, uh, maybe melatonin, but you know, there's, there's all kinds of other things there. And I don't know if we need to discuss those so much and to say, well, maybe I'll, I'll give you a chance on, on those side, or are there any other myths that, that you see that are perpetuated out there that might kind of trip somebody up trying to figure this out? Yeah. Well, you know, to use your, your example of moving into the supplements and medication and things like that, you know, that can really just be at this big whole rabbit hole that you can enter and just really find it hard to get out of because no, no medication or supplement or really anything external can generate sleep. Even if you take a prescription medication, the sleep that you get is still being generated by your own body. Um, now, a medication might lower that initial barrier, that, that initial obstacle to sleep, which is often heightened arousal or anxiety or worry, or it might cause sedation, but sleep is only ever generated by your own body. So if you reach for like a pill or a supplement, 
um, you can kind of reinforce this mistaken belief that any sleep that you get is only being generated by whatever you took. And that makes it really hard for you to rebuild confidence in your sleep and your own natural biological ability to sleep. And because, especially on the supplement side, no supplement is going to fix chronic insomnia, as you alluded to, something might start to work and then not work. Well, you know, everything works until it doesn't work. And because supplements aren't going to be addressing those thoughts and behaviors that perpetuate insomnia, you're going to get to that point where you're recognizing that it's not working, that it's not leading to better sleep. And then you're in the rabbit hole because then you're looking for a new supplement or a new ritual to, to implement in your life. And then maybe that works for a couple of nights until it doesn't work. And then you're looking for something else. And see, it's really hard for you to escape that once you, once you end up going down that route. So I think it is, it is just really helpful to, and this is one of the things that we try and do with these, especially with the cognitive side, is the educational side, is helping people understand that sleep is a natural biological process. No one ever loses the ability to sleep. You can always sleep. If you're awake for long enough, you'll always sleep. And so just that in itself can just be helpful, you know, because once we go down this route of looking at supplements, pills, and other external things and attempt to generate sleep, that's one of these perpetuating behaviors that actually makes it harder for us to get our sleep back on track. Yeah. So we've sort of established here that the insomnia is coming out of your thoughts and behaviors. Um, we've established that there's kind of three areas that, that might be at issue here. Um, your sleep drive being disrupted, your body clock being disrupted, or increased arousal, which could be caused by anxiety, could be by, caused by general arousal, could be caused by a number of things. What are some of the, the tools in the CBTI toolkit then to address some of these aspects? Can you walk us through those? Yeah, sure. So first of all, um, education, you know, understanding what sleep actually is, you know, how much sleep we might need, because uh, a lot of us have unhelpful beliefs about sleep. For example, we might think that we need to get let's say eight hours of sleep, you know, everyone needs to get eight hours of sleep. And if I'm not getting eight hours of sleep, my health is going to suffer. Very, very few people need eight hours of sleep. And the fact of the matter is we all have an individual sleep requirement. Um, so someone out there might do absolutely fantastic on five hours of sleep every night, not even need any more sleep than that. Whereas someone else might actually need eight hours of sleep um, and they really struggle when they don't get it. Then you've got all the people in between. So recognizing that we all have this individual sleep requirement can be so helpful, helping you to just avoid that temptation to somehow get a certain amount of sleep. Because as soon as we put effort into sleep, it makes sleep more difficult. Um, and it can also be a big relief for people, you know, to think, okay, so maybe it is okay for me to be getting six hours of sleep. I don't need to be getting eight hours. And so that in itself can be helpful. So education really helps to address, you know, the thought processes that can perpetuate insomnia, these unhelpful beliefs about sleep. Um, and then we can, then you'll typically see a lot of these behavioral components, which aim to strengthen sleep drive, strengthen the body clock and further reduce arousal. One that I think you touched upon earlier was 
like the sleep window, the amount of time you spend in bed or the amount of time you allot for sleep in the evening. So one of the first things that we might do if we want to get more sleep is spend more time in bed. And that makes complete sense, right? Uh, The more time you spend in bed, the more opportunity there is for sleep. But the problem is, is more time in bed very rarely means more time asleep. It usually just means more time awake. And that means more time awake thinking about sleep, worrying about sleep, trying to sleep, feeling frustrated that you're not that you're not asleep, feeling anxious, you know, and that just feeds into the struggle. Because as soon as we have a high level of arousal or worry or anxiety, it's harder to sleep. So one of the first behavioral aspects is we look to implement a more appropriate amount of time for sleep based on your kind of average nightly sleep duration. It's usually how we do it. So let's say you're currently averaging, say, five hours of sleep each night. Then we'd say, you know, maybe it might be a good idea to say spend five and a half hours in bed or a lot five and a half hours for sleep. So we're always going to be allotting more time for sleep than your average nightly sleep duration. So we're not cutting into the amount of sleep you're getting, but we're going to be significantly reducing the amount of time you spend awake during the night. And that in itself can just feel so good because being awake for hours during the night is very rarely pleasant. And in addition, you're building sleep drive. So let's say you're now, now you're getting out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and going to bed at midnight, whereas before maybe you were getting out of bed at all different times in the morning, going to bed at like nine o'clock in the evening. Now you're getting out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and you're going to be awake all the way through until midnight. That's a lot of time for sleep drive to build. And sleep drive is just this biological process that says the longer you're awake, the more likely it is you're going to sleep because we get sleepier the longer we're awake. So now you're starting to go to bed when you're starting to feel sleepy, which a lot of people with chronic insomnia have actually kind of lost that sensation because then one of the biggest symptoms of chronic insomnia is actually fatigue rather than sleepiness. So a lot of people with insomnia might go to bed when they're feeling kind of worn out and exhausted, but not necessarily sleepy. So this helps you rediscover that strong sense of sleepiness, which in itself can be quite reassuring, but it also helps you fall asleep faster. And it can often help you spend, like get more consistent, consolidated sleep. So spend less time awake during the night. And that in itself can feel good too. And when you're getting out of bed by the same time every day, that's really strengthening your body clock. So your body clock's got this strong, consistent morning anchor. So it can better predict when it should be sending those wake signals through the body and better predict when it should be allowing those sleepiness cues to take over. Um, So that's typically where we'll usually start with the educational side and allotting an appropriate amount of time for sleep. Yeah. And so I, I want to summarize that a bit and, and give some of my experience. I think it's um, instructive to somebody that's listening to this to hear about, uh, you know, how, how it felt for me. Cause a lot of things that you're saying, you know, resonated with, with my experience. So for myself, when we first initially talked, I estimate I was sleeping between four and four and a half hours a night, probably going to bed between nine and 10 and getting up at six. So, you know, spending a lot of time up and around in the night reading or, you know, watching sports, I watch watch squash on TV, which I, I mentioned to you. Just trying to kill time and trying to get back to being sleepy. 
and something you said that really resonated with me is, is that people that suffer from chronic insomnia may have forgotten what it feels like to go to bed sleepy, especially if you're going to sleep, you know, going to bed at eight thirty or nine. Or first thing we did was compress the sleep window. So for me, that was five and a half hours from eleven thirty till five. And I can tell you, the first night I tried to stay up to eleven thirty, um, I, I experienced what sleep drive was, <laughs> and even more so the second night and the third night. And you know, it was it was actually extremely difficult to stay up that late and i'd have to do things like i have to go read at the kitchen table or i go have to fold the laundry or go um hit golf putts in my basement or something and try to stay even awake and by the time i had hit the pillow <laughs> you know i was i was uh just out <laughs> and it's been like that you know i've i would say in the last seven weeks i've had you know less than five like two or three nights where i haven't slept fell asleep immediately and I've expanded my sleep window. We'll maybe talk about that a bit. But at, at the start, I just want to—I do really want to emphasize that to somebody that's trying to sleep that has never experienced that. But literally, it was like you know, I, I go to bed and fall asleep right away. And it was because of that sleep drive making me stay up later, and then also um, getting up earlier and having that longer time in the day. Yeah. And did you did you find that maybe your mindset had changed as well, where you're really looking forward to going to bed? You know, you're, you're checking that clock. Is my sleep window beginning? Yeah. I want to go to bed. Whereas a lot of people with chronic insomnia almost have this fear of going to bed. You know, I don't want to go to bed, but it's bedtime. I have to go to bed. And it completely transforms the way you think about sleep. Just that relatively simple change of just changing the amount of time you allot for sleep. Oh, yeah, my fear was like falling asleep while I was standing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was and still is extremely difficult to, and I think that's maybe the, one of the gauges to, to see if you're in the right spot. But so maybe I'll give a summary at the end of, of how things have progressed. But when we started, I was still maybe struggling a bit in the middle of the night and getting up, but that the falling asleep part, besides off and on over the last number of years, I may have experienced a time or, you know, something like that, but to have it steady every night where I just go to sleep. <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting experience, but it was a skill. Um, and it, it definitely was a behavioral and a thought process change as well. So that was probably the most impactful thing for me overall. And then some of these other things we'll talk about now are adding to that, I think. But I didn't want to put a you know a star into that for somebody who's listening to this, that, that just that technique alone is something that's uh, has really helped me. Yes, yeah, so we talked about sleep drive. We talked about body clock and, and setting a, an anchor, a wake-up time. What are some of the other tools in the toolkit for for CBTI? Yeah, so um, another one that really helps on the arousal side of things, um, especially with any kind of conditioned arousal that we might have. For people that aren't familiar with conditioned arousal, it's just, you know, if we experience something over and over again, we kind of come to experience, we can kind of come to expect that and all the emotions that go along with it, you know, so if uh, we caught speeding one day, um, we get pulled over by the police car, chances are the next few times we see a police car, our heart might start to race, you know, we might get sweaty palms thinking about what that experience. And the same thing can happen with sleep. So if we repeatedly experience difficulty sleeping, we can associate the bed with negativity, with anxiety and frustration. And that's not a good thing. You know, we want the bed to be a place that we look forward to going to, that we find relaxing, comfortable, restorative, all the good stuff. So one way that we can address this is because we learned that the bed might be an unpleasant place to be, that means that we can relearn or learn that the bed is actually a nice place to be. 
but we can only do that through exposure. So the idea is that anytime being in bed doesn't feel good, we get out of bed and just do anything else. We shift all of that unpleasant wakefulness out of the bed. So we can maybe go to the living room, maybe watch TV, read a book, practice our golf swing in the basement, you know, whatever we want, it doesn't matter. We just want to shift that unpleasant wakefulness out of the bed. Um, And then when you start to feel calm and relaxed again, you can return to the bed and give yourself that opportunity to sleep. If it feels good to be in bed, you know, you feel calm and relaxed, it feels nice. There's no need to get out of bed because, you know, the conditions are right for sleep and you're not reinforcing a negative association with the bed and unpleasant wakefulness. But if it doesn't feel good to be in bed, you know, that's your cue again to get out of bed. Um, So it is a process. And in the short term, it can kind of turn you into this human yo-yo as you're getting in and out of bed. But over the long term, that will help you relearn to associate the bed with sleep and pleasant wakefulness. Furthermore, you know, being in bed awake, frustrated, anxious, usually doesn't feel good. So getting out of bed and just doing anything you find even a little bit more enjoyable is often more appealing to staying in bed. And it can often even just act as this mental reset switch, you know, because when we're lying in bed in the dark, alone with our thoughts, we can kind of stew on those thoughts and it's really hard to distract the mind. But if we get out of bed and do something else, we can often distract the mind and take the edge off of that worry or that frustration a lot quicker compared to if we had stayed in bed. So so that's another technique that you'll typically find in CBTI. um, And it's this aspect of stimulus control, making the bed a strong trigger for sleep. So I'll add a kind of a a tool here, a sub tool on this one. I actually got it from the Insomnia Coach podcast. You're, You're talking with a guest on there because I got to the, so I was doing this and I was getting up whenever I felt um, uncomfortable and, and then wait until I felt comfortable to go back to bed and it, it was working. But then at some point there, you know, I can't remember the night, but it's like, how do I know if this is the time to get up? <laughs> and it's like, uh, then you start thinking about that and, you know, then that, that disrupts sleep more. So the tool I heard you mention on, on your podcast was try to revisit, you know, a Netflix episode you're watching or even a movie that you like or something, but, and try to vision what the next episode is going to be so you haven't seen the next episode yet but try to think of your mind the last episode the next episode of pictures what's going to happen and if you can't do that then you're probably too aroused it's time to get up and out of bed if you can do that you'll probably find that you fall asleep pretty quick while you're imagining the other one and that's i do it and i i mentioned to martin before the call i do this actually i pretend to playing a hole of golf on a course i played and like by the time my second time i hit the ball i'm usually asleep <laughs> or if i can if i can't do it then that was the cue that, okay, well, this is too frustrating of a place to be. So it's time to get up. And I, that helped me that kind of little tip. So I want to make sure we, we shared that out. Anything else on this, the arousal side that you think might be good for the audience? Yeah. You know, I, I think a, a big one that probably, I don't think it's necessarily officially part of CBTI, but something that I explain to clients and the clients do find really helpful is just trying to pursue enjoyable enriching activities during the day and trying not to let sleep influence our days you know so it it sounds really easy to say especially if you've struggled with sleep for so long but what tends to happen 
if we're struggling with sleep for a long period of time is we'll kind of withdraw from activities that maybe we once enjoyed. For example, I have a lot of clients that used to really enjoy working out and now they feel that they can't work out to that same level um, or they've quit working out altogether or people might no longer socialize. They might not go out to watch a movie in the evening for fear of how that will affect their sleep. Um, They might try and conserve energy during the day, call in sick to work. But unfortunately, all these things, you know, they, they can lead to more arousal because at its core, the less active we are, the more time available to think. And if we're struggling with sleep, our thought processes will typically turn to sleep. So we'll spend more time thinking about sleep, worrying about sleep, maybe researching sleep. And that's very rarely helpful. And if we do things directly in response to a difficult night, for example, calling in sick or canceling plans, we guarantee that a bad night of sleep has a bad outcome. Whereas if we can somehow just pull together some kind of reserves and carry on our day as normal as possible, we give ourselves that opportunity to have a good day or at the very least experience some okay moments and recognize that how we sleep from night to night doesn't 100% dictate the outcome of our days. And when we can recognize that, we can put less pressure on ourselves to sleep. You know, so if we're having a difficult night, instead of thinking, I'm going to make all these mistakes at work, now I can't go to the movies, now I can't go to watch that play, you can remind yourself of all the times when you've had a bad night of sleep, difficult night, but still done things and had good days. And that can just really help remove any pressure you're putting on yourself to sleep and just lower the intensity of your opinion that sleep is really, really, really important to the quality of your life. That can just be so helpful. Yeah. And if you if you give up, if you don't go into work or you don't do that thing with your friend, you don't have that meeting, you, you've, you said it, but you've guaranteed a, a bad outcome from that sleep. You haven't even given it a chance to to have a good outcome. Exactly. And another thing that I don't think I mentioned is that because one of the primary complaints or side effects of insomnia is fatigue, when we, when we try and remain active, that's actually great for fatigue because fatigue feeds on inactivity. So the more sedentary, up, the more sedentary we are, the more fatigued we often feel. But the more active we are, the less fatigue we feel. Um, so it can actually, being active can actually be really beneficial if you recognize that fatigue is a big problem um, in your life or associated with your, your struggles with sleep. I think that's really important to consider. And, and like you said, if you are struggling with sleep and insomnia, it doesn't mean you have to have a really bad life. <laughs> you can actually have a good life and still go through that. And, and I would put myself in that category, even though I, I had struggled and now, you know, looking to the, the future. So we talked through some of these tools, um, and I think they're really helpful. I'd encourage the audience to also go to the, the your podcast and your website to learn more. But I want to turn to um, programmatically, and and you probably got this question from me while we were we were working together a bit. It's like, okay, well, how do I know? So we started with a, a five and a half an hour sleep window, and that but it's like, how do I know when to do the next step? And the through our conversations, I think it's probably different for different people, and maybe we'll touch on that. But the the thing that we came to as the measuring stick was what we ended up calling and what you called sleep efficiency. So the the time spent in bed trying to sleep, the time you actually sleep divided by that. So if you 
try to sleep for eight hours a night and you actually sleep for eight hours, then you have 100% efficiency. If you try to sleep three hours in the night and you have three hours sleep, you have 100% efficiency. Well, that is the measuring stick um, and, and really secondary, the number of hours sleeping. And I found that really helpful to have something to hang my hat on programmatically than to walk through the last um, couple of months doing this. And so what I did and was started with a very narrow sleep window, five and a half hours, a pretty low percentage. Actually, before I even started, I was doing what I said, eight or nine hours in a night and getting, you know, three and a half, four hours sleep. So I was like at 40% sleep efficiency. <laughs> um, but, you know, started with this narrow window and I found pretty quickly in a couple of weeks, I was up, you know, 70, 80, 90% sleep efficiency. And then I still was feeling pretty fatigued during the day. That's when I started opening, increasing the sleep window. You know, I'd increase by 15 minutes and then do, you know, another week like that and track my sleep. And then if it was still a high percentage, I'd increase another 15 minutes and I'm up now around six and a half or six and a quarter hours for my sleep window. That was the measuring stick I used to, to guide that and how I'm feeling in the day and, um, and how many coffee I feel like I need to drink and, and kind of some markers like that. But I really like that concept of sleep efficiency because that's another added benefit. And we forgot to touch on this on the sleep tribe, but it's amazing having, <laughs> having the evening to do stuff and to have the morning to do stuff. Um, that was probably one of the most enjoyable parts of working on the sleep drive thing is when we started and, and you know, as my, my sleep window was 1130 till five, um, I added another couple hours on to the end of my day and actually could do more things with my family or, you know, not be worried about watching a movie because it's going to affect my sleep. It's like, a, that's not even going to be a problem because <laughs> I know by the time, you know, 1030 or 11 or 1115 comes around, I'm going to be dying to go to sleep anyway <laughs> yeah exactly and that's where it's helped that's why it's helpful too to do stuff during the day as well you know because by default you're probably going to have more time available during the day when you start implementing these techniques and if you're really inactive and sedentary that extra time during the day is probably not going to feel very good but if you're staying intently focused on your career or your studying or your hobbies or those enjoyable good enriching activities that can really help make the process a lot easier too. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll just give kind of a quick summary. When I started, as I mentioned, it was, like I said, I, I estimated I was sleeping around three and a half, four hours a night, um, spending, you know, about double that in, in the bed, trying to sleep or out of the bed, you know, trying to get back to sleep. But my, my sleep window, as we, we end up calling it, or as it's called in CBTI, was that long. So, you know, 40% sleep efficiency and, and in bed for eight or nine hours a night. Using the the sleep window and to, to actually get a sleep drive, so I wanted to go to sleep when I was planning on going to sleep, um, and then working in some of these things, these aspects around decreasing um, arousal, decreasing the feeling of seeing the bed as a, a negative place for sleep, using the sort of visualization tool as the the gauge for that. Again, as went from I think the first week we tracked, I I slept for an hour to four point three hours. 4.7 hours, um, 5.4, 5.7. I'm up just over six hours a night on average now. But the sleep efficiencies are really where the cool part is. So I haven't had probably last month, I'm a week below 90. And some weeks are just 100. I Every hour I lay in bed, I sleep. <laughs> every And it's, you know, I'm asleep within a couple minutes. And if I do wake up in the middle of the night, is our, the sleep tracking sheet I'm using, I think has 15, 30, 45 minute or hour kind of intervals. But it's like I wake up in the middle of the night, I fall asleep again immediately because I'm not worried about it. And I don't even mark those down as I might say I woke up, but 
that I had zero minutes woken up. So it still gives you 100% sleep efficiency. And it's really cool to see that and have more time in the day and to also feel feel better. And I did mention right before the call that I think I'm ready to open that window up a little bit more. I've been a little bit more active in the day and I feel like I could, I could use a little more hours there. But I have this toolkit to be able to do that. And I know that if I start to have less sleep efficiency, I can just close my sleep window up again and, and start to build that confidence again. Yeah, exactly. And it can be helpful too to just recognize that waking during the night is a completely normal part of sleep. You know, even people that have no issues with sleep will typically wake many times during the night. But the difference is they don't pay any attention to them, you know, so they'll fall back to sleep really quickly and probably won't even remember those awakenings. Um, so that can just be really helpful too. And it goes back to part of this educational component, just recognizing and understanding what normal sleep actually is. Uh, waking during the night, completely normal. The problem is often how we react to those awakenings that determines how easy it might be to fall back to sleep. Yeah, I love it. So this is, I hope, been interesting to the audience. Like I said, this is sort of different than our normal topic, talking about academics, talking about research, talking about building online businesses. Um, but I bet, and the reason I put this episode on is that I, I, I believe that it's, it's probably pretty prevalent in, in this field for people to have, at least have some struggle sleeping. And certainly some of them would be having issues with insomnia. So I, I, I think this would probably help there. If people want to learn more about you, your work, you know, the types of stuff that you do to, to educate people on insomnia, where's the best spot for them to go to, to get more of that? Yeah, um, probably just the website. So insomniacoach.com. There you can learn all about my one-on-one sleep coaching programs that will help people implement these techniques that address the thoughts and behaviors that perpetuate insomnia. And also, as you touched upon, I also have that free two-week sleep training course. All you need to do for that is just type in your email address you get one email every day for two weeks with information on how you can work through these perpetuating thoughts and behaviors by yourself. And for those who have a lot of self-discipline, perhaps slightly more mild insomnia or haven't had their insomnia for too long, that might be all they need to get their sleep right back on track. So um, yeah, that's it. Insomniacoach.com is where you can find me and everything that I do. And there is a community forum there as well that people can can access. Is that right? Yeah, there is a forum there as well that's free to join. So yeah, other folks that are taking that course will be in there and, and talking about it. So it's a it's a cool spot to check out, um, especially if you want to increase your your skills and your understanding in this area. So with that, I'll say thanks, Martin, again for coming on. Um, I was going to mention the outset, but Martin owns an online business, <laughs> so we may we may get him on the podcast to talk more about the business aspects and how he's built that out in a later episode, I think that's be an interesting story for the audience as well. But I thought this one was important to, to get out to them today. Um, and I appreciate you coming on to share your backstory and to share your, your experience with, uh, with working people in this area. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, thanks, Martin. And we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thank you. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Martin Reed from insomniacoach.com and the Insomnia Coach podcast. We talk about what is cognitive and behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI. As I mentioned at the outset, this is really something personal that I want to share with the audience. I've talked about the type of goals I'm setting in my life, how I'm really using my business to be a key driver. So it's not you know designing the business that the only business you can from the life you got. It's about designing a business that fosters and supports the life you want. So out of that, the the revenue goals for this year were to 
feedback into things like personal coaching and feedback into um, outsourcing some of the things in my life that are, you know, that I, I don't want to, don't want to deal with too much anymore. And one of those is doing more research on sleep <laughs> after you do enough of it and read enough sleep hygiene stuff and that you realize that it's, it's good to get help. So I did that and it, it has been very helpful for me. It's been helpful to build this skill set, to helpful to build the confidence and come up with new ways to think about it. So I want to, to get that capture here on the podcast to help with, uh, with you who's listening here as well. So if, uh, if you like this podcast, definitely give us a shout out on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, it's at grab blogger or at Somnia Coach on Twitter. If you have any questions about this episode, you can definitely uh, find Martin on his website, or you can go to grabblogger.com slash ask, A-S-K, and ask them there. We'll get Martin back on to, to answer those questions, or we'll create another episode around them. As always, you can grab a PDF transcript of the podcast episode at grabblogger.com slash 66. Put those together, and the team makes a really nice, scannable, readable, searchable document that you can uh, go through to, to understand what we covered in this episode. So have a great week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing around the world to build online businesses and make change in the world. I really look forward to continuing helping to do that here with the Grab Blogger Podcast. Mm-hmm.